This episode contains discussions of murder, domestic abuse, and a brief mention of suicide. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. If you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts or the impulse to self-harm, please seek help. The United States National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The following is from Brick at Bottom by Amias Northcott. It should be here, whispered Maggie. Just in front of them, the road bent to the right round a tongue of land, which, unlike the rest of the right-hand side of the road, was free from trees and was covered only by rough grass and stray bushes. A closer inspection disclosed evident signs of terraces having once been formed on it. But of a house, there was no trace. Is this the place? said Mr. Maydew in a low voice. Maggie nodded. But there is no house here, said her father. What does it all mean? Are you sure of yourself, Maggie? Where is Alice? Hi, everyone. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today's story is Brickett Bottom written by 20th century English author Amias Northcott. I will be telling this story from the point of view of Maggie Maydew, a clergyman's prudent daughter. Although Maggie is the younger of two sisters, she is the rock upon which her older sister, Alice, leans. That is, until Alice is beckoned to a ghostly realm where Maggie cannot follow. Coming up, Maggie struggles to keep her sister from a mysterious neighbor. This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? 
Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. I watched in disbelief as my older sister, Alice, emptied her suitcases. We were only going to be in Overbury for a month, thanks to father's parish post, and yet she brought enough clothes for an entire summer. When I pointed this out, she simply held up a formal dress and waltzed around the room. Honestly, why on earth would you need a ball gown? I asked with amusement. Alice replied that she wanted to be prepared for any social engagements that may arise. I reminded her that our only neighbors for kilometers were forest creatures, but Alice was undeterred. I'm 26, Maggie. I can't afford to waste away here. If there's a social scene anywhere in Overbury, I must find it. I was only two years younger, but thought a quiet escape to the countryside sounded heavenly. London got to be quite noisy and overwhelming at times, so I had been thrilled when Papa offered to stand in for a countryside parish. But of course, Papa and I were aligned. Our family joked that I was just like our prudent father. Alice more closely resembled our dear departed Mama with her cosmopolitan flair. When Alice finally finished unpacking, we set out for a walk. As soon as we stepped outside, I was struck by the density of the forest surrounding our cottage. The foliage was so opaque, sunlight could barely penetrate it. It was really quite eerie. I shrugged off a shiver. My nearsightedness was no doubt the culprit of my unease. Having limited vision made the world a scary place. I shared this thought with Alice and she promptly stood on her tiptoes to kiss the top of my head. It was a sweet gesture she'd done since I was a baby. Don't worry, little one. Big sister will protect you, she said playfully. I laughed. I was the protective one, and we both knew it. We headed for the woods, passing Papa playing croquet in the yard with an older gentleman, Mr. Roberts. As we soon found out, Mr. Roberts was the clergyman whose post Papa was filling. He lived in Overbury all of his 75 years, and there was no one in town he didn't know. Alice immediately asked if there were any eligible young bachelors in the area. After some thought, Mr. Roberts said that there was no one in Overbury who would interest us, bachelor or otherwise. We'll see, Alice said with a wink. Mr. Roberts gave us a hand-drawn map to guide us on our walk. I carefully studied it as we entered the woods. But soon, I forgot the map entirely. The pastoral beauty around us was a salve for my soul. The rolling downs, emerald green valleys, lush forest floors, I reveled in it all. Alice, however, spent most of the stroll complaining about the lack of neighbors. After a few hours, we headed home along a heavily wooded forest path. But as we walked, I felt a sudden chill. That's strange, I thought to myself. The air was balmy, so I could find no reason for the cold. When I mentioned this to Alice, she teased that perhaps if I had brought enough clothes, I'd be warm enough. 
The forest suddenly fell silent. The crickets ceased chirping. The birds stopped singing. The effect was frightening. I felt the hairs on the back of my neck rise, followed by an unbidden sense that someone, or something, was watching us. I was about to hurry Alice along when she grabbed my arm and pointed. Where the trees thinned out, I could see a gentle slope leading to a glen below. I squinted, but between my nearsightedness and the setting sun, I couldn't see far. Alice described a small red brick house with an immaculate garden down the steep hill to our right. Maybe someone interesting lives there, she said. She then tried to snatch the map from me, but I evaded her grab. Alice had a terrible sense of direction, and I wasn't about to give her control of our one guide. I held the map close to my face to read it. According to Mr. Robert's drawing, the glen below where we stood was called Brickett Bottom, but there were no houses indicated anywhere. When I showed Alice, she said, Nonsense! I can see the house just as plain as the nose on your face. I inched forward and squinted at where Alice pointed, but I was still unable to see all the way to the bottom of the glen. A flurry of indiscernible whispers suddenly floated through the woods, making my heart race. I trembled and grabbed Alice's arm. She assured me it was just the wind, but I backed away nervously, insisting we go home. We'll go to Brickett Bottom tomorrow. Oof. My foot rolled beneath me as it caught on something hard. I careened to the forest floor, feeling my ankle twist with a sickening pop as I landed. Alice rushed to my side. I was too focused on the house to notice the log, she cried. She apologized and kissed the top of my head gently. As I sat upright, I saw the path behind me was flat and clear of debris. There was no evidence a log or any obstacle had been there at all. But before I could question Alice, she pulled me to my feet. After that, all I could think about was the debilitating pain in my ankle. The sprain was so severe, Papa insisted I stay off of it for at least a week. Aside from the constant pulsating pain, I was glad to stay put. I was still rattled from the strange walk in the woods the day before and wasn't anxious to return. Besides, I'd come to Overbury for leisure. Now, I would be forced to relax. Conversely, Alice was devastated that I couldn't accompany her to investigate the enigmatic brick at bottom, but she promised to relay her findings and eagerly departed after lunch. That evening, I was deeply immersed in a book when I once again felt I was being watched. I twisted to squint out the window but only the vague shadows of the trees around the cottage greeted me. The bedroom door flew open and Alice bounded in. She was aglow and breathlessly told me she'd managed to get a closer look at the red brick house. An older couple lived there. She saw a gentleman on the porch cleaning a gun and a lady tending the garden. The woman had even looked up and smiled. Alice excitedly snatched Mr. Robert's map from my vanity to sketch a little house where Brickett Bottom was indicated. 
I tried not to laugh, but it was ludicrous that an elderly couple was so thrilling to my sister. Rather than express amusement, I encouraged Alice to keep her distance. If the couple's acquaintance was worth having, Mr. Roberts would have mentioned them. That night, I was startled awake by a loud moan. When I got my bearings, I realized it was Alice. She thrashed fitfully in her bed in the throes of a nightmare. I hurried to her bedside and shook her awake. Alice sat up, disoriented. She said she dreamt of Bricket Bottom. It was so vivid, she said, and nostalgic. I dreamt I lived there and had since birth. I knew every nook and cranny. I called the elderly couple mother and father as if I'd always been a part of their family. The delirious yearning in her voice chilled me. I ordered her to stay away from the place. Alice looked at me, the far-off look. Silly little sister, she said. Then she laid back down to sleep. Alice's nightmare greatly unsettled me. So I was relieved when we awoke the next day to rain. She'd be housebound where I could keep an eye on her. The poor weather continued the next day and the next. By the end of a rainy week, I'd nearly forgotten Alice's preoccupation with the elderly couple in the red brick house. But on the first morning that the sun shone again, I awoke alone. I jumped up to look for Alice, but my ankle radiated pain with every step. Soon I realized I had no choice but to wait for her return. I spent the day staring out the window. I could hardly read. I was so anxious. Thankfully, she arrived home before dark. But when I asked where she'd been, she evaded the question. Over the next few days, Alice left before sunrise and stayed out all day. I questioned her each evening, but she evaded my inquiries. I was frightened by her sudden secrecy, but I became even more alarmed when her complexion paled and she stopped changing her clothes. She wore the same dress every day. It was her favorite, a yellow paisley pattern with lacing, but it had turned a filthy mud color stained from hiking for days without a wash. Our father, though I love him, is a rather absent-minded man. While I observed these changes in my sister right away, Papa hardly noticed. And despite my concerns, I was hesitant to tell him. Ever since Mama passed away, he depended on me for my self-sufficiency, and he'd been so preoccupied with his work, I hadn't wanted to burden him. But Alice was getting worse. That evening, I sat on the porch waiting for Papa to return from the parish. I'd finally decided to tell him about Alice's odd behavior, but I didn't get the chance. To my surprise, Alice burst from the woods and skipped over to the cottage. She flopped in the rocking chair beside me and began chattering about her day. She giddily told me something wonderful had happened. She'd seen the elderly woman who lived in the red brick house again and had spoken to her. 
Alice admitted she spent her days circling the Brickett-bottom house, hoping to see the elderly couple again. She hadn't had any luck. Until today. I looked at my sister, bewildered. She may have been starved for social engagements, but lingering outside someone's home on the chance she may glimpse them was absurd. But I held my tongue, and Alice continued recounting her day. The woman's name was Mrs. Paxton, she said excitedly, and she had invited Alice in for tea. Her husband, Colonel Paxton, would join them. Did you go in? I asked nervously. Alice sighed. I wanted to, she replied, but the sun was setting and I knew I'd have to leave in order to make it home before dark. I exhaled in relief. There was something in Alice's stare that struck me. Her eyes twinkled with an eerie glow. And as I looked closer, I swore I could see the silhouettes of two hunched figures in their reflection. She smiled dreamily. I promised to visit them tomorrow. Coming up. Brickett Bottom holds a sinister secret. Robbing trains, rustling cattle. Pop culture usually depicts the Old West as an uncharted land with no rules. But how much of that is true? Now you can find the facts, learn the lore, and tackle the tallest of tales in the Spotify original from Parcast, Wild Wild West. Every Thursday on Spotify, Settle up to the saloon to hear about the American frontier's most ruthless outlaws and heroic gunslingers. Wild Wild West features a compilation of episodes from shows across ParCast Network and focuses on the legends that help shape American culture. From sharpshooters and explorers to family feuds and lost treasure, the West has a history more complex than you know. Don't be a yellow belly. Follow Wild Wild West free and only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. I was sure my vision was failing me again. I had sworn I had seen the hunched silhouettes of two figures, two elderly people, in the reflection of Alice's eyes. I looked away, hoping the strange sight would disappear. When I finally turned back, Alice's eyes had returned to normal. Even so, the image lingered in my mind. I didn't sleep a wink that night. I tossed and turned, trying to separate fact from feeling. Fact. Alice was bizarrely preoccupied with the Paxtons and Brickett Bottom. Feeling. Some sort of possession had taken hold of my sister. I didn't know how, but I was certain Brickett Bottom would be the end of her. Fact. Regardless, I had to stop her from going back. A ghostly melody woke me at dawn. I opened my eyes to see Alice in a fresh white lace gown humming a haunting tune. She slowly brushed her hair, transfixed by her reflection in the mirror. I shot up in bed. Last night's thoughts weighed heavy on my mind. With as much calm as I could muster, 
I forbade Alice from going back to Bricket Bottom. She kept her eyes on the mirror as she assured me there was nothing to worry about. I reasoned with her, but she simply brushed off my concerns again and again. I even threatened her, saying I'd tell our father she was up to no good, but she only giggled in response to my warnings. Nothing seemed to rupture her odd, dreamlike demeanor. Tears welled in my eyes, and she finally looked at me. I wish she hadn't. Her blank stare made my chest tighten with fear. She gently kissed the top of my head. Don't worry, little sister. I know what I'm doing. She then drifted to the door, and I hurried after her. But what hobbling I could do on my ankle sent waves of pain through my body. I could only stare as she opened the door and left. I watched her through the window as she disappeared into the trees when panic coursed through me. I had to do something. So I gritted my teeth through the pain and hopped to Papa's bedroom to wake him. The tales spilled out of me. How obsessed Alice had been with the Paxtons. How she hadn't been herself. How I hadn't wanted to bother him with it. And how awful I felt about that now. I was ordinarily level-headed and my panic suitably alarmed Papa. He hurried to fetch the horse so we could search for Alice. Minutes later, we rode our mare through the woods. My arms clenched tight around Papa's waist until we reached the fork in the path, the very spot where Alice first saw the red brick house. Neither of us could see any buildings in the glen below, but we descended the hill anyway. Soon, we stood amid the scrub brush in Bricket Bottom. There wasn't a structure in sight. That's when I spotted it. A scrap of Alice's white lace dress snagged on a thorny bush. I showed Papa, and our cries for my sister became desperate. In the distance, a faint voice called. Papa. It was Alice. Relief consumed me. I asked Papa from which way he thought she had called, but strangely, he hadn't heard a thing. The eerie, incoherent whispers I'd heard our first night in the woods rose around us. I looked at Papa again, but he was unaffected. I realized he couldn't hear them. My breath caught in my throat. I was certain I'd heard my sister. Surely she was here somewhere. We combed the land through the night, calling out into Overbury's inky darkness. At daybreak, the world came back into focus, and Papa dropped to his knees. I immediately wrapped my arms around him, and our agonized wails echoed through the countryside. Papa and I searched the woods daily, but it was as if Alice had vanished into thin air. Weeks passed, and we fell into a quiet, grief-stricken lull. Until one day, there was an unexpected knock at our door. Papa opened it to reveal Mr. Roberts. The old clergyman had returned as soon as he heard of Alice's disappearance. Hope swelled in my chest for the first time in weeks, 
Mr. Roberts had lived here all his life. He must know something about Brickett Bottom. He joined us in the living room and I eagerly inquired about the Paxtons. A peculiar look crossed his face. You haven't heard the rumors? He asked. Papa and I shook our heads. Mr. Roberts sighed. If I had thought... He paused to wipe a tear from the corner of his eye. I would have warned you if I thought the rumors had even a kernel of truth to them. I inched to the edge of my seat and pleaded with him to continue. And then, Mr. Roberts told us that the Paxton's red brick house with the well-tended garden in Bricket Bottom did exist 70 years ago. Colonel Paxton's malicious temper was infamous in Overbury, but no one understood his abusive rage more than Mrs. Paxton and their daughter, Eliza. But despite the colonel's attempts to physically enforce obedience, Eliza grew into a young woman with a will of her own and a heart of her own. Eliza fell in love with a young man named Lucas, a young man that the colonel despised. But the more he tried to end the relationship, the more rebellious Eliza became. Her father's violent reaction only hardened her resolve. She was determined to marry Lucas and escape. Colonel Paxton, however, had other plans. On the morning of her wedding day, Eliza's dead body appeared on Lucas's doorstep. It is said his wails of grief were heard throughout Overbury. No one could prove Eliza was murdered by Colonel Paxton, but he was crucified in the court of public opinion regardless. Every time they went into town, the Paxtons were met with suspicion and glares from the villagers. Soon, they rarely left Brickett Bottom. Mrs. Paxton passed away mere months later, seemingly of a broken heart. Only a week afterwards, Colonel Paxton died by his own hand. The property was sold to a Lord Carew, who quickly demolished the home to expand his hunting grounds. Brickett Bottom had been an overgrown field of brush ever since. I waited for Mr. Roberts to continue, but he remained silent. There's more, isn't there? I asked. Mr. Roberts shifted, pausing to nervously clean his glasses. When he finally spoke, he was apologetic. Alice isn't the only one to see the Paxtons after their deaths, he said. My stomach lurched with dread. Mr. Roberts revealed that several years after Brickett Bottom was destroyed, a family of out-of-towners had stopped to camp in the woods. The daughter of the family, a young woman, wandered off to collect blackberries. Like Alice, she disappeared without a trace. I never stopped praying for her, he said. And now, 
I will pray for Alice. My father and I sat in silence. A leaden weight felt as if it had been tied to my heart. Tears welled in my eyes. There was nothing to say. No words that could adequately respond to the absurd dark story we had been told. As we bid Mr. Roberts farewell, a desperate thought occurred to me. If the Paxtons were after a young woman, maybe they would take me in Alice's place. I ran out the door, ignoring Papa's calls at my back and the dull pain still lingering in my ankle. I didn't stop until I reached the fork in the path above Bricket Bottom. I squinted into the glen, hoping against hope that the red brick house would be there. But even when I scaled the gentle hill to the bottom, it was nothing but brush. I threw myself to the ground and let the magnitude of my sorrow crush me. As I sobbed, another sensation crept over me. I was being watched. I wiped away my tears, but just as before, I couldn't see anyone. Just as my desolation set in, I felt a familiar sensation. Soft lips pressed against my forehead. It was Alice's kiss. One last time. Bricket Bottom was published in 1921 as part of a volume of short stories called In Ghostly Company. The volume would be the first and last publication from British author Amias Northcott. He died just a few years later. There isn't much known about the mysterious Northcott, including the cause of his death, and his stories are just as enigmatic. Northcott's tales are full of haunted landscapes and eerie ambiences. Bricket Bottom is no exception. Alice was entranced by a ghostly setting that was only visible to her. The deeper she moved into otherworldly territory, the more lost she became to our mortal realm. In addition to being caught between two worlds, Alice was pulled between two opposing forces. While Maggie's overt attempts to control Alice came from love, the Paxton's subtle manipulations were born from sinister intentions. But ultimately, Maggie's efforts to steer Alice away from the spectral realm of the Paxtons failed. The Paxtons gained what they sought, possession of a young woman they could completely control. And Alice got what she wanted as well, to meet interesting new people. Unfortunately, Captivating strangers can also be deadly. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free exclusively on Spotify. See you 
on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Janelle Marluk, with writing assistance by Kate Murdoch and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Audriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. Hey, partners, it's Carter from Parcast. You've probably heard stories about outlaw Jesse James, sharpshooter Annie Oakley, and the horrors of the Donner Party. But how much of what you've heard is actually true? Find out on my new series, Wild Wild West, where I head out on the frontier to find the facts, learn the lore, and tackle the tallest of tales. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Wild Wild West, every Thursday, free, and only on Spotify. Spotify.